Hey, good morning, Plum Creek. Great to see you guys today. I want to welcome all of you here, especially if you happen to be new to our church. It's great to have you with us. Well, we are in the fifth and final week of this series called Love Your Neighbor. And from the very beginning of this series, we wanted to do more than just talk about loving our neighbors. We wanted to actually live this out. And so every week we've had individual challenges and church events to help us put this into practice, to go along with what we're learning. In fact, one of those events is happening today, right after this service, in just a few minutes, over in the Life Center. We're going to be working with a ministry called Master Provisions, and we're going to be packing clothes for people in need. And some smart people here have set up a live feed so we could see what's happening over there right now. So can we get that up on the screen? Oh yeah, so, so we've got uh, some folks there, young and old, packing those clothes, and these guys are going to be moving out pretty soon, so we need some more volunteers to step in. And even if you did not sign up to do this, uh, even if you weren't planning to do this, you're still invited to help and serve. And this is an easy way to make a difference. Uh, these clothes are going to be sent literally around the world, uh, Central America, Africa, all over the place. And uh, this is just a, a great project, and I hope you get to be a part of it. Now, a quick review from this past week. Um, i got to say, one of my favorite events that we've done this month is Kona Ice Night. This was last Monday evening. We reserved five Kona ice trucks, and that was all that they had in this community. So then we had to get two other trucks that were a little different. And then from 7 to 8 p.m., we sent these trucks to lots of different neighborhoods, and we just gave out Kona ice and other stuff to anyone who happened to stop by. And I've, I've heard that in several neighborhoods, these trucks drew a big crowd. Uh, my friend Sammy sent me a picture of Pond Creek, the subdivision over there. And I don't know exactly how many people are lined up there, but it's a lot. And then in the neighborhood where I live, Darlington Creek, the truck was parked right in front of our house. That's our driveway there. And I'll tell you, I expected this to be a fun night, but it was even better than what I expected. Uh, this little event brought some of our neighborhood together in a way that, honestly, I've never seen before. For example, there was a family on our street. I've wanted to meet them for a year, but we just hadn't connected until they came down to get some Kona ice. There was a, another couple. They've lived in Darlington Creek for 15 years. We've been there 10 years but we never got the chance to meet them until they came down for some Kona ice. And we got to talk to them. We got to, got to meet their three greyhounds, which was really fun. It was just a blast. It really was. And what's really been fun is that over the past few days, the people that we met on Monday night have been especially friendly. Uh, certain neighbors of mine have been smiling and waving, and some of these same neighbors did not smile and wave before. So it's, it's just been a blessing. And it reminds me of something we read last week. Jesus said, when you serve others, you will be blessed in the process. And as it turns out, Jesus was exactly right, which should be no surprise. So this has been a great month at Plum Creek. And we want to make sure we keep this thing going long after August is over. Because for followers of Jesus, 
Love your neighbor, that can't be just a slogan. It has to be a way of life. However, uh, as we uh, come to the conclusion of this series, I think it's important to acknowledge that this stuff is not always easy. It's a challenge. You know, the command to love your neighbor, it's all over the Bible. It's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in many places, the, the wording is something like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And a lot of times we pay less attention to those last two words, as yourself. But really, if I'm being honest, that's where this command starts to feel impossible. Because God has told us to love others to the same degree, to the same extent that we love ourselves. Over in Philippians chapter 2, it actually says, value others above yourselves. Not just on the same level, above yourselves. So that means if, if there's a, a situation where I can choose between what's good for me and what's good for you, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to pick you. That's pretty extreme, isn't it? Yeah, it is extreme. But that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He chose our well-being over his well-being. He sacrificed his life. He laid his life down so that he could offer us eternal life. It's amazing. So what do you think? Are you up for this? Are you up for loving your neighbor as yourself? Because that kind of love is a lot more than packing clothes for a few minutes. That kind of love will cost you something. That kind of love requires sacrifice. And for us, this love doesn't come naturally. In fact, if we try to do this on our own strength or by our own willpower, we'll never get it right. Last week, uh, we talked about the art of serving. And we saw uh, some of the ways that this is difficult. Uh, we looked at the story in John chapter 13 where Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. And at one point, I talked about Simon Peter. You might remember that Jesus knew that Peter was, was going to deny him, disown him. And Jesus still humbled himself. He knelt down and he washed Peter's feet. And I also mentioned Judas Iscariot. Jesus was well aware that Judas was in the process of betraying him. And yet, Jesus knelt down and he washed Judas's feet too. So that was one of the takeaways from last week's sermon. We should be willing to serve people who aren't easy to serve. That includes people who don't appreciate what you do. That includes people who don't treat you very well. So this is tough, but the truth is, Jesus goes even farther. At one point, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So the command is not just don't hate your enemies. Don't, don't just tolerate your enemies. Love them. I'm sure many of us have heard this command, but I'm guessing that many of us struggle to obey this command. You see what I mean? It's hard to love in the same way that Jesus loves. There are so many ways that we can get it wrong. Uh, for example, some people do serve others a lot, 
It's a habit for them, but they do it in a way that's unhealthy. Some people have some kind of a savior complex, and, and they just wear themselves out by trying to do too much, which is not what God intended. And then some people love their enemies in a way that's unhealthy. Loving your enemy does not mean that you allow toxic people to mistreat you or abuse you. Loving like Jesus, it doesn't mean that you're always nicey-nice. That's not how he interacted with people. Jesus was full of grace, and he was also full of truth. Jesus was willing to serve anyone, love anyone, accept anyone. But he would also confront you if that's what the situation called for. That was one of the ways that he loved people. So this is this challenge we have. To love our, love our neighbors well, we have to love in the right way for the right reasons. And as we've been saying, only Jesus got that right every time. That's why over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the example that Jesus left us. And in some ways, that can be discouraging. Because we can't just wake up tomorrow and say, hey, I made a decision. I'm going to go be like Jesus today. Be just like him. It's not that simple, is it? But here's the good news. Through the power of God's Holy Spirit in us, we can grow. We can grow to become more like Jesus. We never get all the way there. Actually, we won't get close. But we can grow in that direction. God will help us do that. But now, where do we start? Well, before we can love in the right way, we need to love for the right reasons. And that brings us to our big question this morning. What should motivate us to love our neighbors? What, what's our why? What, what's our reason to do this? Do you have a guess? I'm sure some of you do, and some of you probably know the correct answer. To love our neighbors well, our primary motivation has to be a genuine love for God and a genuine love for others. And yes, I realize that I'm kind of talking in circles here. I mean, look at that. Why should I love my neighbor? Because I love God and because I love my neighbors. That's why I should love them, because I love them. <laughs> and you might be thinking, how many times are you going to use the word love today, Doug? And I'm sorry about that, but this is what we see in Scripture. Love is all over the place. This is foundational to the, the main story of the Bible. But what if we're not quite there today? What if I'm not feeling the love what if I don't have warm, fuzzy feelings for my neighbors right now? Or even worse, what if I don't have warm, fuzzy feelings about God himself? How can I conjure up those feelings? You can't make yourself love somebody, can you? Well, that's true. And if that is true, where do I get that motivation? That's got to be my reason. Well, the Bible has a very clear answer to that question. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. That's where our ability to love comes from. Jesus kind of love. I read another verse last week that said the same thing in kind of a different way. Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were completely messed up, Christ died for us. He took the initiative. 
Jesus died so that you could live. And when you understand that, and when you accept the gift of salvation and forgiveness that he freely offers you, there's only one response that makes sense, and it's love. And then what happens next? Well, we love others because we love God. When you begin that relationship with Jesus, when you surrender your life to him, you're saying, okay, God, I'm 100% devoted to you now. So you call the shots. You tell me what to do and where to go, and I'm on it. Show me who to serve. Show me who to love. And he will do exactly that. God will put people in your path, and he calls you to love them. And man, when God's love flows through us out to other people, it's a beautiful thing. At that point, you're not operating out of guilt or obligation or self-interest. You just genuinely want what is best for everyone around you. We, we want them to experience God's blessings in every way. We want our neighbors to have a happy home and good friends and a fulfilling job. And we also want them to experience the greatest blessing of all, which is to know and follow Jesus. He's the only source of true joy. He's the only source of true peace. Jesus is the only source of true life, both here on earth and after this life, throughout eternity. So when we are filled with God's love, we want others to find the same hope that we have found. It's just natural. And that's what God has called us to do, help others find what we have found. The Great Commission, really. Jesus told his disciples to go out and make more disciples. And that command still applies to every follower of Jesus today. And when we talk about this task of making disciples, we usually go to one particular passage, Matthew chapter 28, because that's where Jesus gave this command. But today, I want to read a different passage that approaches disciple-making from a different angle. So check it out. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is Paul's second letter to the Christians in Corinth. And I'll read this. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. So that's important to know. When you begin a life-changing relationship with Jesus, you don't just become a better person. You become a totally new person. You are a, you are a new creation. And so then from there, Paul says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's one of those passages where I read it and go, what did I just read? Uh, So what was that about? What's the key word here? Can you spot it? Reconciling, reconciled, reconciliation. It's really three key words, but same idea. And, and what does that mean? Well, here's the story. All of us have sinned against God, every single one of us. And when we sinned, we broke our relationship with God. We were estranged from him. But through Jesus, that broken relationship can be restored. We can be 
reconciled with God. And that's literally the greatest thing that could ever happen to you. But when that does happen, you can't say, okay, cool, I'm reconciled to God. Now I guess I'll just wait for heaven. No, look at verse 20 here. Paul says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So, if you're a Christian, you are Christ's ambassador. You act as God's representative. And your mission is to help people be reconciled to God. This is a huge part of what it means to love your neighbor. You can't really love your neighbor without wanting them to experience this. But you know, this is where it can get awkward, right? When we talk about being Christ's ambassador, we're not just giving out Kona ice anymore. Uh, We're heading into territory that makes our culture very uncomfortable. People are like, hey, if you want to be a Christian, that's great for you. But don't tell me that I need to be a Christian too. So how do we respond to that? Well, again, let's think about Jesus. What did Jesus do? What did he say? As I was thinking about that this week, one of the first things that came to my mind was the golden rule. We know the golden rule, right? That's where Jesus said, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. It's a great rule, isn't it? Do to others what you would want them to do for you. Now, here's a good exercise. This this helped me this week. How about we take three ideas that we've been talking about and combine them. First, number one, love your neighbor. Second, you are Christ's ambassador. But then third, the golden rule, do to others what you would want them to do for you. So then what does that look like? Well, if I'm loving my neighbor, if I'm being Christ's ambassador, how would I want others to treat me in that scenario? Well, let's think about it this way. Let's say some stranger rings my doorbell, and when I answer the door, this stranger immediately goes into some high-pressure sales pitch. Do I want that? No. Actually, that happened to me a couple weeks ago, and I did not like it. (laughs) So when I am Christ's ambassador, should I come up as a stranger to another stranger and go into that high-pressure sales pitch? Probably not, based on the golden rule. Or how about this one? What if someone wants to be my friend, but I find out the reason they want to be my friend primarily is because they want to recruit me into some pyramid scheme? Do I want that? No, I don't want that. So as Christ's ambassador, maybe I should not build a friendship with someone with a hidden agenda underneath. I wouldn't want to be someone's pet project. So as we think about the golden rule here, I think it gives us a clear path forward to love your neighbor well, build genuine friendships with no strings attached. That's what we all want. In our staff meeting a few weeks ago, Jared and David and Jimmy and I were talking about a quote that we'd seen. And I've been thinking about this quote ever since. And and here's what it says. We don't love our neighbors to convert them. We love our neighbors because we are converted. 
It's interesting. I think that would be a great discussion at lunch today. Just go around the table and ask everyone to share what they think of this quote. We don't love our neighbors to convert them. We love our neighbors because we are converted. On the one hand, I love that statement. But on the other hand, though, i got a little caveat. Because we can't forget that when you become a follower of Jesus, you also become Christ's ambassador. God wants to make his appeal through you. You've been called to make disciples. So when and where does that happen? Well, if you're building genuine friendships with no strings attached, and if you're following wherever God leads, you will eventually share the gospel. Because if you love Jesus, he will naturally show up in your conversations. You know, people naturally share what they love, right? If you saw a great movie last week, you're probably going to tell your friends about it. If you went to a great restaurant, you're probably going to tell your friends about it. And so if Jesus has changed your life, sooner or later, as people get to know you, you're going to tell your story. This is an important element that we can't leave out. To love your neighbor well, be ready to tell your story. There's a great example of this in John chapter 9. Um, in this uh, chapter, right at the beginning, Jesus meets a man who was born blind. He had been blind his entire life. And Jesus decides to heal this man, and he does it in kind of a strange way. Listen to this, uh, John 9 verse 6. It says, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and then put that on the man's eyes. And Jesus said, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. And this word means scent. So the man went and was washed and came home seeing. It's a pretty simple story, right? This man had been blind his entire life. He met Jesus, and then all of a sudden, he can see. And when the man gets home, his neighbors who knew him knew that he had been blind. They're like, no way. What happened? How is it that you can see now? And right then, the man tells his story. And it's short and sweet. He says down in verse 11, Well, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then boom, I could see. You know, that's such a natural thing. His neighbors noticed there was something different about him. They asked, what happened? And he just told his story. He met Jesus. And then later, the Pharisees get wind of this miracle. Now, of course, as a group, the Pharisees were not fans of Jesus, not by a long shot. And they want to convince people that Jesus did not perform this miracle. So they drag the man in and they interrogate him, not once, but two separate times. And then at that second interrogation... The Pharisees confront the man, and they're like, hey, listen, buddy, you give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And the man replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. I love this guy. He's not some theologian. He doesn't have a list of arguments to defend the Christian faith. He just keeps telling this simple story. All I can tell you is that Jesus changed my life. In the end, I think that's a great example for us to follow. Whether you're talking to friends or family or neighbors, 
or skeptics, just be ready to tell your story. That's one of the best ways you could love your neighbor. That's one of the best ways you could be an ambassador for Christ. Several months ago, we did something here at Plum Creek called the Testimony Challenge. And when you accept this challenge, you just look back over your life, you you see how Jesus has changed your life, and then you write down that story. And the value of this challenge is that it helps you be ready to tell your story. And to those of you who participated, you might remember that we gave you a basic outline to follow. Your story should have three parts. First, what was your life like before your turning point, before you became a follower of Jesus? And then, how, how did that turning point happen? What events and people did God use to bring you to that point? And then finally, you describe life after the turning point. It is how Jesus changed your life. What's different now? Many, many of you wrote out a testimony and turned it in, and I really appreciate that. It was such a privilege to read through all of them. And I've shared many of them up here over the past few months, but I want to go back and share one now. This testimony is from Ron Evans. Ron happens to be one of our elders here at Plum Creek, and I want to share this with you. Let's listen. Ron says, I grew up in a house where my mother was our Christian influencer. However, I opted to use my father as an excuse not to darken the steps of the church because I thought, if he doesn't go, why should I? Growing up in the 70s and having learning disabilities as a child, I created a tough exterior shell. And that led me into taking risks and doing things to make me look good, all for the purpose of putting up a fake facade. This was a way to mask my insecurities and fears. I made many of the bad decisions that were common in that decade, and that was my life, until my freshman year in college. And this brings me to my turning point. After starting college, two people were put into my life that brought me to this turning point. The first person was my high school friend, Eric, who was a strong Christian. Eric played football with me in high school, and we started college at the same time. He visited my dorm room every week and invited me to his Bible studies and church services. He even started one of the Bible studies in my dorm. I felt my life was changing, and I was drawing closer to the Lord that year, but I found it hard to give up worldly things to be a Christ follower. That all changed after I met the second person God put into my life. That person was my wife, Melanie. We dated through college and were married after graduation. And as a strong Christian herself, she was instrumental in leading me to the church she grew up in. That's where I asked Jesus to be my personal Savior, and I was baptized. I wish I could say that the skies immediately opened and the trumpets blew, but that didn't happen. I changed a lot by trying to have a relationship with Jesus through good works. I was always doing everything I could, but it felt like it was never enough. Several years later, we were asked to host a small home group. That's when life changed drastically. One morning after a small group meeting, I was deeply affected by what we were studying. And while driving to work the next morning, I asked Jesus to use me however he needed, and I would follow Tears fell from my face. I almost wrecked, and a great warmth washed over me. From that moment on, 
I could not get enough of God's words. I wanted to do whatever and go wherever he was leading me. I was no longer in control, and that was okay. When I became a Christian, things that I thought were important were no longer so, and I didn't even miss them. I have gained so much more with the relationship I have with Jesus now. And I'm not saying my life is all peachy. Some of those insecurities still try to creep back in. But I know now that it's not about me. And all things are possible through the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And as for those people God put into my life, Eric has been a pastor for the past 37 years. The other person, Melanie, has been my wife for 37 years. She's been a faithful follower of Jesus her entire life. And for me, I love to serve Jesus in any way possible. He's actually serving here this morning. And I'm giving up that feeling of being tempted to take control. I have peace knowing that he is walking beside me, even in my bad days. So that's Ron's story. And it's a great one. And no one can argue with Ron about his story. He's lived it. He knows that it's true. And if I had to guess, I'd, I'd, I'd say that Ron probably hasn't shared this story with every single one of his friends but he's clearly ready to share it. And if you don't feel ready to tell your story, you can be. Uh, you could still go to our website. Go to plumcreek.org testimony. And on that page, you can find that outline that walks you through it. You'll also find other stories and testimonies that will encourage you and inspire you. So I, I hope you'll do that if you haven't already. Now, we've reached the end of this Love Your Neighbor series, and whatever we do, let's not stop now. Let's keep looking for opportunities to love people in the right way for the right reasons. Let's love others out of a genuine love for God and a genuine love for people. I want to close by looking at our last few neighbor challenges. We have two more church events. Like I said earlier, one of them is happening right now. Uh, next door, you can still go to the Life Center and pack clothes for people in need. And then this coming Wednesday night, you can help out at Pendleton County High School uh, with the soccer team there. You can help sell concessions and work the gate. It's just a, another simple way to serve. And you can sign up for either of those events at plumcreek.org neighbor. Actually, for the first one, don't worry about signing up. Just go over there. Now, as far as the individual challenges go, they will continue after the church events are over. So you've got these eight closest neighbors. Hopefully you've learned their names. You've met them. And just keep building relationships with those neighbors. And we gave you a specific challenge that probably hasn't happened yet, and that was to plan a block party with and for your neighbors. Now, at Darlington Creek, we already have our party on the calendar. And we'd love for you to schedule your party next weekend, Labor Day weekend, because that would give you a chance to invite your neighbors to the sermon series uh, that's happening in September. That series is about marriage and family and relationships and parenting. And man, we need God's wisdom there so much. 
Now, if you've accepted that challenge to host a block party, um, we'd also ask you to sign up in that same place, plumcreek.org slash neighbor, because we want to pray for you. We want to pray for your party, and we'd love to hear how it goes afterwards. But as we close today, I want to take a moment to pray for the neighbors who live around each one of us. I don't know who your neighbors are. We, we don't know everybody, but God does. And you know who he has put in your path. So let's pray together. And here's, here's what we'll do. I'll give you just a, a couple things to pray about. And you might not be able to hit all eight of your closest neighbors, but at least choose the first couple that come to mind. And as, as I mentioned, these categories will give you a little space uh, to go ahead and pray on your own. So let's do this. Father, we are so grateful for who you are, for the kind of love that you have and that you've demonstrated that love through Jesus. Lord, our, our response is love, a love for you. And, and then I know that you will fill us with your love so we can share that with others. And right now, we want to lift up these neighbors. Lord, we uh, bring them to you. Okay, so everybody, uh, think about those neighbors who live right around you. And first, let's pray um, for the relationships within those homes, for marriages, uh, for kids and parents, and and for those who are single. uh, Pray for uh, the challenges that go along with that. Uh, let's, Let's pray for them right now. Now let's pray for relationships outside of that home, whether it's friends or coworkers or uh, other students if they if they go to school. Um, just pray for those relationships. Now, if you can think of someone near you who's going through some kind of trial, whether it's uh, struggle with health or with finances, uh, let's lift up those needs right now. pray for the greatest relationship of all, that relationship with Jesus. For the ones who already have established that, I pray that they will just continue to grow and thrive spiritually. For those who do not yet have a relationship with Jesus, pray that they will hear God's call and that they will respond and that God would use us to be his ambassador. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. We know that you want what is best for our neighbors, for us, for everyone. And I pray that you will help us to follow the example of your kind of love. And I pray for good things. I pray that we will see lives changed over the coming weeks and the coming months. Lord, we want to give you all the credit, all the glory for what you do. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.